The Space God Memoirs. Episode 18 I led the party across a dead land, the wind shrieking around us, the dusts blowing over us. Northward we went, marching upon the high road when we could, though for stretches it would vanish beneath where the ground had shifted over the centuries, then resume again some leagues later. To all sides stood the remains of a civilization, The sand-weathered buildings that had once been homes, shops, schools, and temples. The remains of motorized cars were half-buried in silt. I figured that thousands had died here, though I saw a few bodies, most of them likely buried under the ages of rubble, sand, and dust. I briefly thought of my previous journey up here, me and Burge. We had taken the long way around the chasm, plus an even longer journey up through the wastes, all for the hope of some valuable salvage. I almost smiled as I thought of that journey. But Burge was gone now, shot to death by a man who was marching just behind me. When I looked back, Alien gave me a cruel grin and spat in my direction. Somnar, right behind him, mumbled something into their comm system. Both knights began laughing. I looked away and tried to focus on the path ahead, though I felt my hand reaching for my hidden shiv. That day we walked past countless buildings like that apartment, stripped clean by the desert winds, the bones of their inhabitants lost beneath the layers of forgotten history. By mid-afternoon, the high road took us through the remains of what might have been a majestic downtown square, as large as Suldra itself. We walked between rows of glassy, fluted towers, whose once polished surfaces were webbed with cracks reflecting the sun's light in eerie dancing patterns. I would occasionally glance back at where Rayleigh walked, between two of the knights. She was silent, her head lowered. I wanted to stop and talk to her, to comfort her, to tell her everything would be Kino Bino, and we would all come out of this. But I wasn't sure if I believed that myself. Not right then. And even if I did, there was little chance those damn knights would give us a moment alone. As the sun was beginning to set, we set up camp upon the high road itself, overlooking a desolate suburb of a few hundred crumbling homes. I figured the height of the road itself would give us a safe enough place to rest. Upon Bakibra's orders, the two porters, brothers named Jubbo and Gubbo, unrolled their packs and rapidly set up several tents atop the platform. The royal tent was the first to go up, where Ophiro and Bakibra were to sleep, followed by two smaller tents for the remaining pairs of knights. When I asked about my tent, Sir Somnar just laughed at me and said, Squag off, God. You and the porter sleep under the stars like the beasts you are. I watched Sir Vorse lead Rayleigh into the royal tent, out of my sight. I balled my hands into fists, trying my best to push my anger inside. I slept maybe one full hour that night, though I'd say the howling chavril were only a bit to blame. Mostly it was just all the tension 
all that madness from the past day. The image of Burge getting shot to death just kept running through my head. Plus the fact that his killers were just a few feet away from me. That and I thought of Rayleigh and how she was handling it all. I wished I could just go and talk to her, but that was a big no at that moment. I wondered just how we were going to get out of this, or if we'd end up dead on the ground soon enough. For a bit that night, I even fantasized about sneaking around the camp and killing them all while they slept. Of course, I didn't have a real weapon, and there was the annoying factor of them always having somebody on watch while the others slept. I tried not to think about the exact details of our insane quest, or the implications of my vision of the spindly man. Anyway, I think I eventually drifted off, soon after the fire had fully died out and the Chavril had decided to go elsewhere. I woke up to see the damn orange sun on the horizon, swiftly chasing away the shadows on the high road. Early in the morning, after a quick meal of dried jerky, we once more headed out, the camp packing itself up with all the efficiency you'd expect from the world's most organized military force. As we traveled, I felt restless, a part of me wanting to strike up a conversation, despite the lousy company. Maybe I could at least find out more about this dumb mission. Sir Scragger was out of the question, of course, as was his brutish buddy Somnar. When I even looked in their direction, Alien tapped a finger against his blaster, narrowing his stupid little eyes at me. The others were hardly better, marching in silence upon the high road, Bakibra beside Ophiro, and the two men behind with Rayleigh between them. As I drew nearer, I noticed the Knight Captain and her Prince exchanging another one of their glances. Something was going on between those two, I was sure of it. That look they gave each other had a touch of tenderness, making me imagine all sorts of possibilities. But whatever the truth of it, when I approached and opened my mouth to say something, the Prince shot me the deadliest glance. I could literally feel the pressure building up on my skin, like that little pale man could crush me on the spot. So I backed the scrag up and did not talk to them either. I briefly tried chatting with the two porters. The big red brothers seemed nice enough, but hardly had a word to say, content to answer all my questions with yup or nope. I wondered if they had been sworn to keep quiet, or else were a bit addled in the head. Either way, those two couldn't give me a single detail about why we were in these scragging wastes, journeying to the worst death trap on the planet. So I marched alone, watching my own footfalls over the broken chunks of the high road, or down on the dusty ground. Occasionally I would overhear bits of the night's chatter, muffled and metallic on their intercoms. But really, there was no conversation, no camaraderie, no friendship. At least not for me. Rarely as I glanced out at the rest of the party, I'd catch glimpses of her, the cloaked stranger, walking beside the others as if she belonged here, but always silent and never acknowledged by anyone else. I would see her, think about approaching or confronting her, and then she'd vanish before I got the chance. A few times I caught glimpses of her soft blue flesh or her verdant hair. One time she even waved at me, but always gone before I could respond. Like a ghost, or like I was finally losing my mind. That night was a black one. The stars above covered by an opaque blanket of clouds. The only lights those we had brought with us. Close by, the ruins were alive with the howls and the shuffling of the chavril, which still not shown themselves to us. 
being the official guide of the party I was given first watch. Most of it was uneventful, save for the savage noises just beyond our fire. But midway through that night, the noises suddenly stopped, which prompted me to stand up from the wall I had been leaning against and take a second look around. I saw between the gaps in the distant buildings the flickering of what must have been a fire. There wasn't anything out there that could burn, so I figured on a campfire. There was someone else here. Being that I wasn't exactly the biggest hero around, or utterly suicidal, I did not venture forth into the monster-infested ruin to have a look. But I did tell Captain Bakibra about it the next morning. She thanked me for the report and nodded her head, no surprise visible on her face, then walked away and said nothing. Well, scrag you too, I muttered under my breath. If she heard me, she didn't turn around. Thus we traveled onward through the last of Balnar's blasted suburbs, camping two more nights between the crumbling vestiges of long-dead neighborhoods. Those nights were fairly uneventful, at least for me. The same gloomy companions, the same lonely meals of jerky and dried bread, the same silence from my fellows. Guiding the group was easy for much of that time. But one afternoon we were forced to leave the straight path of the high road. In front of us stood an ancient rail car, its doors rusted shut and its windows long ago fallen out. It was completely blocking the high road. So we descended, taking the nearby ramp down. Our path took us through more of the towns, into a less densely packed area of long, one-story buildings that might have once been warehouses, rusted barrels and crates stacked in piles outside them. Atop some of the buildings were huge, dish-shaped structures with stacks of rods in the middle, all as rusty as the rest of the metal here. I suspected people had once used them for some kind of communications, though most looked like they were about to collapse in on themselves. As we traveled further through this strange sector, I began to notice other things. More and more scratch marks across the walls of the buildings. The ground, too, was littered with footprints of a creature all too familiar. Occasionally, nestled among the crumbling walls, I spotted bits of flaky green material. Eggshells. As we strode onward, I got that sinking sensation in my gut. It could almost feel the eyes of unseen predators upon me. Then we started seeing the bodies. Not of people, but of the chaveril. I stopped the party in front of one particularly large communication dish, which sat atop a crumbling old structure. There were around ten of the animal carcasses. Some of them were mostly intact, their gray-scaled hides covered in burn marks, their caned faces staring dead-eyed at us. Others were cut clean in half, bodies separated from heads or limbs scattered across the area. Someone has been here ahead of us, stated Bakibra. Unless these beasts murder one another. They don't, I stated. Must be whoever's building all those fires I keep seeing. Bakibra nodded. Your previous comments suggest the Chaveril are nocturnal. Should we be wary of them? They're normally nocturnal, I said. But if someone's been riling them up, who knows? Keep a lookout for the beasts, she said into her communicator. The rest of the knights began to spread out, weapons ready as they circled the nearby building. Moments later, the nearest wall of the corroded structure fell outward, and several gray forms leapt towards the nearest knights. Several more followed behind them, bounding from their lair. Their canid maws snarling at us, the chavril leapt forward as a pack. 
their gray-scaled hides covering muscular, six-legged frames, ending at barbed tails. Sir Vorce grunted in surprise as one of the things knocked him prone and proceeded to tear into his left shoulder with its serrated jaws. He reactively fired his wide-barreled slug thrower, but missed, firing into the air as the creature dug into him. The other knights proceeded to fight the oncoming beasts, Allian blasting one in the head, causing said head to explode like a rotten melon. Somnar roared as he swung furiously at them with his cleaver-like axe, tearing through flesh and bone. In seconds, the big knight had downed two of the chavril, though one had managed to dig its sharp teeth into his armored leg before he hacked its head off. The keeper stayed her ground, remaining close to Prince Ophiro, but drawing her blade as she scanned the battlefield for any more chavril. Sir Jettis ran to save his companion, jabbing the tip of his polearm through the side of the monster attacking Vorse. He stabbed it twice more, until it stopped moving altogether, but it never loosened its grip on Vorse, not even in death. As for me, I did not join the fray. I had never fought a Chavril before, and didn't plan on doing it that day either. Along with the two Porter brothers and Rayleigh, I kept to the rear of the party, briefly looking backward to see if any more of the lizards were approaching from behind. Then I realized something. All the knights were busy fighting. I looked to Rayleigh, who stood only a few feet away. Let's make a run for it, she said before I could. Without thinking, I took her hand and we turned around. I could still hear the sounds of combat behind me as we quickened our pace, then fell into a run, heading for the cover of another warehouse in the distance. Within seconds, I began to feel my throat tighten, the muscles of my neck constricting. Moments later, I collapsed, red spots on the edges of my vision, my limbs feeling like putty. For an instant, I was paralyzed, like I was dying. I lay there on the ground, wondering what the scrag had just happened. Then it all went away. I could breathe again. When I finally forced myself up, the first thing I saw was Prince Ophiro, his pale eyes staring at me across the dusty road, shaking his head as if to tell me no. Rayleigh stood beside me, looking equally stunned. We both stumbled back to where the knights stood, triumphant over the Chavril, who all lay dead. Nobody said a word to me or Rayleigh about our brief escape attempt, though I could still feel an uncomfortable tingle across my neck when Ophiro looked my way. The knights were more focused on the one among them who had not fared so well. Sir Vorce lay still. His steely gray armor was stained with red, pierced with dozens of toothy marks. His left arm was gone, reduced to a bloody stump. He was most certainly dead, the first to die up here in the unforgiving north. Most of the knights took the loss stoically, lowering their gazes or saluting the corpse of their comrade. Jettis, his constant companion, took it a bit harder. I watched the handsome man, tears in his eyes, gather up the corpse of his comrade, then cleaned the blood from it and set it upon a short wall, where it was burned within the hour. Jettis looked utterly forlorn as he mouthed a silent prayer for his fallen friend, and then bowed his head. Of course, this wasn't the kind of group where people talked about their feelings, so I never heard the tale of Sirs Vorse and Jettis, never learned of their friendship, their valorous exploits, or the story behind their close bond. And thus we moved onward. In two hours we had gotten back to the high road. But the next afternoon the high road vanished, lost beneath a dune of sand that had swallowed it up. Up ahead I could barely see a hint of the ruins that we had been traveling through. 
though I suspected they continued further, buried beneath the shifting sands. The hard-baked desert of the ruins began to grow softer, transitioning into flaky dirt whose surface cracked and crunched as we walked over it. That only lasted a few miles, soon breaking down to a more uniform, sand-like surface that was still fairly flat, albeit broken by the occasional small dune or dip. That continued for about a day of painful, drudgerous walking, our feet repeatedly sinking down into the silty ground, slowing progress to a halt. Nobody complained, but mostly because in this party the complaining types weren't invited. Even Prince Sofiro, who I would have expected to whine at the first sign of hard travel, went against stereotype and was as stoic as anyone. The broken suburbs had vanished behind us, swallowed by the waves of white dunes that seemed to spread endlessly ahead of me. We all walked slowly, especially the knights, whose heavy armor tended to sink into the worst of the sand. A bright sun beat down upon me as I trudged up and down those dunes, even my well-traveled hamstrings starting to ache from the constant uphill tread. But if the sun gave any warmth, it all vanished in the face of the dry chill of the north. The nights were even colder, forcing me to wrap myself from head to toe in the thickest garments I could. Because, of course, I was given the main watch. Starting on the second night in the dunes, just like back in the ruins, I began to notice a glow upon a distant hillside. On the third and fourth nights, it became even more evident that there was another campfire out there. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, Go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoy the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.